Well, as we continue our sermon series on the Holy Spirit called Open to the Spirit, today's reading is going to be from Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. So you can turn there in your Bibles or on your phone, or it'll be up on the screen. Um, And as Brian mentioned, if you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch back at that welcome table that we love to give you um, as our gift to you. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is God's word. In March of 2020, just as the world was beginning to close down because of the COVID-19 pandemic, my family and I were in New Zealand. It was an amazing trip. We visited the Lord of the Rings Hobbiton set. We saw where Frodo and Sam and Bilbo lived, the various doors in the hillside of the little houses. Uh, We went to this place called Tepuia, which is a geothermal park that's home to the largest um, geyser in the southern hemisphere. We visited a dormant volcano cone. It was amazing. In the months that followed, actually, uh, Jeremy and I agreed that we maybe should have stayed in New Zealand instead of coming back to the U.S. for COVID spring 2020. Um, But there was one thing that was difficult about our visit to New Zealand. I don't know if you know this or not, but not every country in the world drives on the right side of the road. Yeah, in some countries, they drive their cars on the left side of the road. And so when you're driving in a country where all the cars are on the left side of the road, it's very important that you also drive on the left side of the road. On our visit to New Zealand, I was the driver, and it was uncomfortable for me to drive on the left side of the road. My brain had trouble, especially at first, adjusting to where I was supposed to be in the lane because I was used to sitting on the left side of the car in the right lane, right? But in New Zealand, I was sitting on the right side of the car, on the left side of the road. It was just confusing. My sense of spatial awareness took a little while to adjust. Jeremy, um, unfortunately for him, was the passenger. And he hasn't talked much about that experience since we got back. I don't know if maybe he's still a little traumatized from it. Um, Because here's the thing. If you're in a place where cars drive on the left side of the road but your brain wants you to drive on the right side of the road, that's trouble. 
If your brain never adjusts to the reality of your new situation, you and everyone in your car will be in trouble. Are you with me? (laughs) Okay. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans. Okay, in the book of Romans, Paul wants to help the Roman church understand the reality that God made the world a beautiful place and that the way God designed things to work is the best way to live. When we're living in line with the way God intended, submitting to him as king, submitting to each other in love, caring for the world and the people in it selflessly, that is a beautiful way of life. That's like driving on the correct side of the road in New Zealand. It's a beautiful drive. There are mountains. There's ocean. There's lush forests. There's volcanoes. Wow! What a sight to see. But sin, Paul says, is like driving on the wrong side of the road. Paul says the fact is sin leads to death. Now, When we talk about sin, sometimes we narrow the scope of sin to mean simply the conscious choices we make to act against God's will. And those conscious choices against God's will, yes, those are certainly sin, but that's a narrow understanding of what sin is. Sin in the Bible encompasses so much more than that. Sin just means anything that isn't how God designed it. Sin in the Bible is the situation of the world after the fall, when everything broke. Our relationship with God broke. Our relationships with each other broke. Our relationship with ourself broke. Our relationship with all of creation broke. Everything was disrupted at the fall. And Paul makes the case in Romans that sin, this status of being out of alignment with the way God intended things, it leads inevitably to death. Now, of course, Paul isn't saying the moment you sin, you die, there would be no one left on earth. (laughs) What he is saying is that the trajectory of sin, the trajectory of a world not operating as it was intended to operate, is death. Sin leads inevitably to death. Now, I might not die the moment I drive on the right side of the road in New Zealand, as yes, we did discover a couple of times. (laughs) But the long-term trajectory of continually driving on the right side of the road in a country where cars drive on the left is not good. And I'm guessing I don't need to work too hard to convince you all that the long-term trajectory of a world broken by sin is death. The long-term trajectory of a world where cancer, viruses, and a lack of nutrition exists is death. The long-term trajectory of a world that is divided, fearful, and angry is death. The long-term trajectory of a world where we idolize money and status, the long-term trajectory of a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer is death. The long-term trajectory of mindlessly consuming the resources of our planet is death. The long-term trajectory of any kind of philosophy that is focused on me first is death. The long-term trajectory of running after our own material comfort and satisfaction is death. The long-term trajectory of seeking relief or comfort in drugs or alcohol or money or food or sex is death. The long-term trajectory of obsessing over success and productivity is death. The long-term trajectory of obsessing over our children's success and productivity 
is death. The long-term trajectory of running after anything other than the kingdom of God is death. That's what Paul is saying. That's how sin works. Sin takes what was intended to be good and distorts it. Sin takes a created thing and sets it in our hearts in the place where only God belongs. In sin, the status of being out of alignment with the way God created things is at work. It's at work in each of our individual hearts. It's at work in all of humanity. It's at work in all of creation. Sin says, sin, Paul says, is at work all around us, and it's leading nowhere but death. That is simply the fact of the situation. Sin leads to death. And Paul says, there's a problem. That wasn't problem enough. (laughs) Paul says, not only is this world broken by sin and heading toward death, on top of that, Paul says, humans are powerless against sin. In Romans 8.8, which I read a moment ago, Paul says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, when Paul talks about flesh, he doesn't mean like the stuff that's holding our bones together. Paul's use of the term flesh here is to denote our situation as part of a broken world. Our humanity that's been corrupted by the power of sin. He's saying, because in our humanity we experience the effects of the brokenness of sin, we aren't able to just try harder not to sin. We're not able in our own effort to just stop sinning. We're not able to just fix division. We're not able to just fix hatred or selfishness or greed that are messing up our world and leading it toward death. It's not just about having willpower or the right strategy or setting the right goals. Paul says it is not possible for us to resist the trajectory of sin on our own. In Romans 7, verses 18 and 19, Paul talks about this. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, in the part of me corrupted by sin. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul's saying here what recovery groups and 12-step programs accept as a fundamental of their journey in the first step. We admitted we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. When I first got behind the wheel of a car in New Zealand, I could not just adjust something in my brain to make it stop thinking I should be driving on the right side of the road. I couldn't erase the pull of all those years of muscle memory doing the thing that I can now do here without even thinking about it. The pull to drive on the right side of the road was strong. It was automatic. It just happened. My body and my brain have been programmed over many years to just get behind the wheel and start driving on the right. My situation had changed. I was in a country with different driving rules, but my brain had trouble making the adjustment. That's what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans. Paul writes these words as an apostle. This isn't somebody who like never heard of Jesus, didn't believe in God or anything like that. Paul is a follower of Christ, as someone deeply committed to the work of the gospel, someone who had been following God a long time by that point. He confessed that even he was struggling with the pull towards sin. When we come to Christ, we're in a new situation, right? That's what we celebrated a few moments ago. The Bible tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we tell him we want to give our lives to him, that's it. 
at that moment, we are adopted as children of God. We are brought into his family. The death and resurrection of Jesus made our forgiveness and our welcome into God's family a sure and final thing. Our situation has changed. We have been brought from death into life. But our brains and our bodies and our desires have trouble adjusting to our new situation. Our desires keep pulling us back to a way of life that isn't aligned to God. Because we're a part of a sinful humanity that for thousands and thousands of years has been choosing to go away other than God's design. And Paul says that even as someone who's been following God a long time, he struggles to resist the pull of sin. The power of sin is so great that there is nothing humanity can do in our own power to put a stop to this long-term trajectory toward death. So sin leads to death. And as humanity, we are powerless against sin. This situation is what prompts Paul to cry out in Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, if this is where the story ended, there would truly be no hope for this life, no hope for this world, right? Our best solution would be just to kind of like hold on in a corner and hope for heaven. (laughs) But God doesn't abandon us to just sitting in this darkness, left on a hopeless trajectory toward death and a someday hope, as beautiful as it is. In chapter 8, Paul turns to the hope we have now, In verses 1 and 2, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul tells us here that our hope for somehow resisting the pull pull of sin toward death is the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit replaces sin as the magnetic force in our lives. And that instead of pulling us toward death, the Holy Spirit pulls us toward what brings life. So somehow the Holy Spirit in us gradually reshapes our desires so that we are set on a long-term trajectory toward life. Paul says that Jesus' death on our behalf changed our situation And the Holy Spirit changes our experience of our new situation. Verses 3 and 4 explain this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, that means as a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This verse is saying that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus offered himself as the sin offering on our behalf. The sin offering was a sacrifice outlined in the Old Testament that was made to atone for unwilling or unintentional sins. So sins that weren't intentional, sins that weren't even conscious, sins that just happened because of the pull in us towards sin. And Paul says that Jesus paid the once and for all price for the subconscious pull in us towards sin. He did that to set us free from the death that we've said is the outcome of sin. 
And this verse tells us that Jesus died to make a way, not just for us to escape death, but to live a new life. A life according to the law of God, the way God knows things work best. Paul says this life of righteous living is not something we can do in our own strength, in the flesh, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. God does in a dramatic way what we can't do ourselves. And he always planned to do that. In fact, if we look back at the Old Testament, so much of that serves to underscore the reality that humans are incapable of choosing the right things on our own. (laughs) As if we needed evidence outside our own lives. (laughs) That's the point of the story of Noah, by the way. That even if we took only the most righteous, only the best, only the people who were best at obeying God and started over, we still couldn't sustain that, (laughs) right? Noah was just barely off the boat when he got drunk, and it went downhill from there, (laughs) okay? It's the same with God's chosen people, the Israelites. No matter how many times they literally saw God's presence or experienced his miracles, the pull of sin was too great. That's why in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we read that even an exile to a foreign land couldn't make them choose God's way instead of their own on their own strength. We read that God promised he'll do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And how does Ezekiel say that he'll do that? Well, by putting his spirit in them. Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and, uh, from your flesh and give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When the Holy Spirit is in us, we start to be drawn more and more towards God's way and less and less to sin. We're drawn more and more to life according to the way God says best. That's what the Ten Commandments are, by the way. They're not rules to follow so that God doesn't get mad at us. (laughs) They're describing a way of interacting with God and others that leads to life. Because the long-term trajectory of keeping God on his throne, of being clear that he's the only God, the long-term trajectory of that is life. The long-term trajectory of not trying to manipulate God into our image of who we think God should be is life. The long-term trajectory of following God's lead and practicing Sabbath is life. The long-term trajectory of showing honor to people who came before us is life. The long-term trajectory of respecting the image of God in others and refusing to cause harm to anyone is life. The long-term trajectory of treating sex carefully and honoring our marriage covenants is life. The long-term trajectory of living generously instead of taking from others is life. The long-term trajectory of telling the truth is life. The long-term trajectory of being satisfied with what we have instead of wanting what someone else owns is life. The Ten Commandments were given to God's people to lead them to life. And God promised in Ezekiel the same thing that Jesus promised in John, that he would send the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk towards life. So Jesus' death and resurrection were not only about securing our place in an eternal place of rest. Jesus' death and resurrection was also so that we could live a new life that is empowered by the Spirit. So we could live in a way right here and right now that leads to life. 
Romans 8, 6 says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The life that the Holy Spirit empowers in us is a life that leads to peace. Peace with God, peace within ourselves, peace with our neighbors, peace with creation. To set our minds on the spirit means to allow the spirit to be what occupies us, drives us, interests us, consumes us to allow the perspective of the Spirit and the Spirit's prompting to become the thing we give ourselves over to. In New Zealand, even though I was in a new situation, my brain and my body kept pulling me to drive on the right side of the road. But there's a helpful little tool that a lot of cars have, lane sensors. Lane sensors tell you when you're drifting out of your lane. They tell you when you're getting close to the middle line, when you're drifting too far off the shoulder. The lane sensor helps to acclimate us to life in a new situation. I still had to listen to it. I still had to adjust the steering wheel to stay in my lane when the sensor alerted me to drift. I wasn't in a self-driving car. I still had to participate. But the lane sensor helped keep me in the lane that led to life. And this is how the Holy Spirit helps empower us to a journey toward that which brings life. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, prompting us toward life, warning us when we're heading toward death. The Holy Spirit's been given to every follower of Jesus to help every single one of us choose to walk toward life. The Holy Spirit guards us when we're crossing the lane into what leads to death, when we're speaking unkindly, when we're being selfish, when we're getting comfortable with racism or sexism or materialism, when we're starting to think life is all about us. And as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we practice hearing the Spirit's promptings and moving, the Holy Spirit inspires and empowers us to drive in the lane that leads to life, to speak up in the face of what's wrong, to give generously to others, to choose forgiveness instead of retaliation, to choose to see what could be when it's resurrected instead of just what is now that's dead. The Holy Spirit that lives inside you and me is literally the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Harbor, if the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside you, What is there in your life that can't be resurrected? What addiction, what pain, what disease, what struggle, what failure can't be resurrected and turned into something beautiful? If the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside our community here at Harbor, what can't he do through us to bring life to greater Lowell? If the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in the church all over the world, in every country, on every continent, what can't God resurrect through our collective influence? What brokenness, what failure, what division, what blindness can't God revive and breathe life into? If the Spirit of God that raised Jesus back to life on the third day after carrying the sins of all humanity is living in your heart and in my heart and in the heart of every person running after Jesus, is there anything God can't do? Harbor, 
living in your heart, dwelling inside your very body is the same spirit with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So may we be led more and more by the Spirit. May we find ourselves more and more able to sense where the Spirit is leading as we spend more time in his presence, in prayer, and in silence. May our hearts become more and more tuned to following the Spirit's lead so that in everything we do, we choose what leads to life. So that everywhere we go, we leave behind us a trail of resurrection. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, what a gift you are. (laughs) What a gift that you come in and resurrect what is dead. What a gift that there is nothing you can't do. So help us to align our lives to you. Help us in our hearts to sense where you're guiding us. Help us stay in a lane that leads to life so that what's left behind us is resurrection. Thank you that the same power you use to raise Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Thank you. Amen.